0: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Coco and Daltz. We're real people bringing you real reviews of all the latest streaming offerings on Amazon Prime Video, Disney Plus, and Netflix. I'm not Daltz.
1: And I'm not Coco.
0: And not Coco. What are we talking about today?
1: Oh, yeah, we're really excited about this one, Coco. This one is Mank just freshly out on Friday, uh, two days ago as we record this podcast. It's about Herman J. Mankiewicz, who is the uh, esteemed screenwriter from the 30s and 40s, most notably uh, the screenwriter for Citizen Kane, which many people believe, uh, maybe myself, I'm not sure, is the greatest movie of all time. Wow. Wow. Greatest movie. So it's Orson Welles uh, directed it, and he, in those days, you know, credit was not necessarily uh, spread around accordingly. So um, he might have written it, he might not have written it. But the idea here is the uh, it's a window inside the creative genius of Hermie Mankiewicz and him trying to get Citizen Kane written and then produced. Okay. And that's the summary of the movie. Now, it's a lot, so. more, a lot more complicated than that. Gary Oldman plays Hermie Mankiewicz. And then there's a, a very good supporting cast. Is that your nickname for him? Hermie? Hermie. Well, he's called Hermie in the movie. So it's not just me. You were, I think you nodded off at that point. When, Probably. When he was called Hermie. Um, there's a really good supporting cast around him. Uh, none, nobody really of huge notification there um, because uh, I think they put all the money in the Gary Oldman uh, bucket. And Gary Oldman was really good in this, um, but I I don't really want to say what I thought of it until I hear what you think of it. (laughs) So you go ahead, Coco. Tell us what you think of Mank.
0: So I didn't like it as much as I should have. It just (laughs) didn't stick the landing for Mm me. I mean, don't. Don't get me wrong, it was, um, Gary Oldman was fantastic. Mm -hmm. I liked Amanda Seyfried in one of the supporting roles. Mm -hmm. She played William Randolph Hearst's mistress. Mm -hmm. Charles Dance, who played William Randolph Hearst, I thought he did a good job. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tom Pelfrey, who played Manx's brother, I thought he did good. Um, It was visually stunning. They Mm -hmm. shot it in black and white. It was supposed to look like a movie from that era yep. and it totally did the production values were amazing the costuming the sets
1: um it well even complete with the the random uh flaw on the film that you know, right. watch older uh-huh. older films <laughs> and then they have like that little circle in the top corner It actually had that occasionally throughout the movie
0: yeah and uh it even in addition to looking like a movie from that era It was also written like a movie from that era. So it had like really fast, witty dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really enjoyed their use of flashbacks to show how Mank came to have a grudge against William Randolph Hearst. Mm -hmm. And how he ended up no longer working for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. And how all of that led to him creating Citizen Kane. As, you know, a stand in for William Randolph Hearst. Um, Mm -hmm. So there was a lot that was good about the movie. And I feel like I should have liked it more than I did. But like I said, it just didn't, like, the whole was not as great as the parts for me. Like, the Lily Collins character, like, she had this one scene toward the very end where she found out that her husband did not die in the war, and that was just super cheesy, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it just it, it just didn't come together for me. Yeah. So, I don't know. What did uh, what did you think, Dalton?
1: Uh, I should mention that, I, I forgot to mention this in my summary, but David Fincher is the director of this, and his father, Jack Fincher, was the screenwriter of this. So, Fincher, of course, being the director of some of my favorite movies, including Seven... Uh, he also did The Social Network Network, uh, with um, Aaron Sorkin uh, wrote the screenplay and that that was a fantastic movie Um, and so there were a lot of really and with those guys coming together with I don't know anything about Jack Fincher necessarily but I know David Fincher's work very well Um, I I think that uh, him, Fincher, combined with uh, Gary Oldman, I was thinking this is going to be really good. Like this is going to be acting and it's going to be directing at its highest level. And I just didn't, I I think it was the same for me. I, I think you put it more eloquently than I will, but it just didn't add up to me. I really wanted to know, I really wanted to get a glimpse behind the creative process of one of the greatest screenplays of all time. And I didn't really get that. I got a lot of, Gary Oldman in bed half drunk <laughs> looking at papers and I didn't Which really,
0: sounds like every writer ever
1: actually. Right yeah, like that's <laughs> yeah when I was a writer that was me you know. Yeah I, totally. I'm typing up uh, game recaps in my PJs you know <laughs> after watching them on TV. Um, with your Muskoka can empties like on the floor around you. And, and my you know with cigarette in one hand and my <laughs> right. my huge glasses in on my face. Um, but I, I didn't really get a glimpse into that. I think that it's it, here's the thing: is that Hollywood loves to look at itself more yes. than any other industry. Yes. And I think that the only industry that really loves itself more than Hollywood is journalism and journalism loves to write about itself and loves to put people behind the scenes and that sort of thing. The difference is I'm not sure that the average reader really cares what goes on behind journalism no. whereas movie f- people I think care more about what goes on. And still I think there's a layer removed there. I think I don't think everybody's going to love this movie because it's just it's really inside the industry, really inside baseball.
0: When we watched it yesterday, it was number 10 in the US for movies on Netflix and I was very surprised by that because it was getting a lot of buzz and it has David Fincher and Mm -hmm. Gary Oldman and I thought that people would be you thought it would be higher yeah I thought right out of the gate people would be watching it so I wasn't sure if the fact that it was number 10 in movies Mm -hmm. meant that either people just hadn't gotten around to watching it yet because it had only been out for a day or if there just wasn't as much interest as I thought there would be and maybe that's I haven't checked the rankings today, but maybe that's the case. Because at this point, Citizen Kane came out like 70 years ago. Right. Like maybe in the 80s, people were still like Orson Welles was still alive in the 80s. Maybe in the 80s, people were still like really interested in how the sausage got made there. But Mm -hmm. today.
1: Yeah, I wonder that. Like it's a fascination thing. And it's not you and I talked about this. And the equivalent of Quentin Tarantino making once upon a time in Hollywood, right. which is a real love letter to Hollywood too. I think that that movie was made looking back on an era that was more relatable to today. Uh, you know, is it's a stuntman. Yeah. 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 In terms of proximity of the time, but also it's a stuntman, right. it's, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. Like it, this is a really hard movie to relate to. And I think it's, it's, it's not overly long. Like I think originally yeah. we thought it was going to be like five hours long. It was going to be like another, <laughs> the Irishman, Irishman. Yeah. you know, Netflix just saying, Hey, Hey, great director make a movie for us and then having no parameters whatsoever and it actually was a responsible 2 hours and 12 minutes i think right. so it's 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 accessible that way but it's it's black and white and it's not um it's 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 not uh of today's quality and that, and then that's not a slight whatsoever it's like you said the dialogue is very back and forth and witty and band- bandry and stuff like that but it feels like it was a movie like you said, made in the 30s and 40s. And it seems like it's Fincher's almost his nod to try to remake Citizen Kane because the op- one of the opening scenes in the movie when they cart Gary Oldman in, uh, he was, had a broken leg in a car accident and he's, he's arriving at this cottage to write the script, what essentially becomes Citizen Kane. Um, the angle is very low. It's almost on the floor. And that's just like the opening scene in Citizen Kane where all the camera angles in Citizen oh. Kane are all very low and the lighting is very challenging in Citizen Kane. Whereas the, 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 primary, like the, the thing about Citizen Kane is yes, it's a fantastic script, but the cinematography and that was leading edge at its, for its time. In the late 30s and early 40s in that you had the protagonist talking and you couldn't see his face in the scene. You could only see the people The people that were lit in the scene were the people behind him. And there's things like that and there's challenges like the shooting from the ground up and making everybody look really big and bigger than life kind of thing. And there's a lot of the, that in this. And I don't think this is a David Fincher movie necessarily. Uh, If you're looking for Seven or if you're looking for some of those other movies that we mentioned. The
0: Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Right. Right.
1: And uh, and Fight Club. Like, Mm -hmm. this is not any of those movies.
0: And I wouldn't have picked up on any of the Citizen Kane, like, similarities. Because I tried to watch Citizen Kane in high school and Mm -hmm. I fell asleep. Well, that was too (laughs) young, though. Yeah, and I haven't tried to watch it again since then. So, obviously, I'm aware of its reputation and everything. But it's just something I just haven't been able to go back and try to watch again.
1: It feels like... It feels like... Fincher is trying to remake Citizen Kane in some ways. And I think that that's admirable, uh, but it's just an impossible task. I mean, it's just, it's considered one of the greatest movies of all time. So I think it was less a David Fincher take and almost like a David Fincher uh, mirror up against Citizen Kane. And that's a really, that's a really tough challenge. Gary Oldman was fantastic in it. Like you said, the other supporting characters were really good and supporting actors. Um, But I just didn't, it didn't, it didn't have a, second or third act to me it just felt like it was one story and there went a lot mm. there wasn't a lot of tension there they tried to introduce some tension they tried to introduce some conflict and uh i didn't i didn't buy it and maybe it's because i'm used to watching explosions and superhero <laughs> movies and stuff like that and <laughs> we've been watching the mandalorian every week so this is right, what <laughs> right which is half an hour long and it's in and the, the last couple have been really good and packed with thrills but this uh it's it's tough it's tough because you don't want to You don't want to rain down on the parade that is Netflix bringing us all these great directors and everything like that. But I'm I'm of the mind that I haven't, I've yet to see really, like we got Roma, we had the Irishman.
0: I was just thinking about Roma. I did like this more than Roma. Mm -hmm. Like Roma to me was just pointless and indulgent
1: and I didn't like it at all. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but this was, even if it wasn't my favorite thing that I've ever seen, I wasn't just like, oh, God, like 20 minutes in, is this thing over yet? Like, it it was 212, and they could have cut some fat for sure. They mm-hmm. probably could have cut a solid at least 15, 20 minutes off it, but...
1: There are a couple of scenes in there. So when Gary Oldman and uh, the blonde actor lady or actress lady, she and him wander outside for um, like the idea there that they're bonding over something and they're talking and setting up something later. That scene could have been a lot shorter. It was really well done, but it could have been shorter. And then there's also the scene, the embarrassing scene of Gary Oldman being drunk uh, at the dinner at the Hearst castle and him going on and on that could have been shorter too. like, so uh, there were a couple of scenes and I think they were intentionally done that there was intentionally almost like a one take kind of feel to them. Um, that Fincher was going for, but it just, it ended up being to me a little bit ponderous. I think it could have been a little bit more again, like we're talking about with a lot of these movies made by the big directors on Netflix. Um, there needs to be a little bit more restraint, I think.
0: <laughs> and then, and then there is going to be restraint. We're going to be like, let the directors do what they do. <laughs> like they know what they're doing. You well,
1: can't please everybody all the time. I think this and this movie will probably get all sorts of accolades. I haven't really, I'm sure. I haven't really read a lot about it yet, but. Um... I'm sure because it's all about Hollywood, just uh-huh. like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which right. neither, one, neither one of us really liked all that much. No, uh, and I think it'll be like that where it gets all this praise just because it's about Hollywood and it's an insightful, different look.
0: So listener won't know this, but actually about 10 years ago, I had another podcast with a friend of ours. Um, we also talked about pop culture and entertainment and that was the year that Argo came out mm. and Argo came out in like September and I said on that podcast Hollywood might might as well not even release any movies for the rest of the year because this movie is totally going to win all the Oscars because Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood yep. and especially when a Hollywood movie Saves the world. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, I was like, it's, it's going to get all the awards, and and it did. So yeah. yeah, same same with this. I'm sure I'm sure Gary Oldman's going to get nominated. Right. I'm sure the screenplay will probably get nominated. Mm-hmm. It could get a best picture nomination. Yeah. Like I, I'm sure it'll get direction.
1: So. It'll get all those. I think. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I think that uh, uh, Gary Oldman deserves a nomination in this. And I mean, he he's good in everything he w- he's in. Like yeah. he was good in the uh, Churchill movie that I watched. You love that movie. it was a great movie, and he was fantastic in that. Um, and he's always a good villain. I, I look back on even... I think it was the uh, the Bruce Willis space movie that he was in. He was a villain and he was the only good thing. Oh, and he was in Armageddon? He was in uh, The Fifth Element. Oh, okay. He was the bad guy in The Fifth Element. <laughs> I
0: was going to say, I do not remember Gary Oldman in Armageddon. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah,
1: and he was just... He was the best thing about that movie because he was so over-the-top campy, but it was perfect in that movie. So there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of things to say about Gary Oldman. He really gets into the part. He really got to, he really got into this part, and he drives this movie. But I just, I'm I'm not I'm not going to recommend this. I think if you love Hollywood, then I think you'll find it to be a good viewing. But otherwise, I think you could watch two hours of or two episodes of The Mandalorian instead.
0: So, how many typewriters up would you give it?
1: I would give it one typewriter up. Wow. I think the I think the intention was really good Mm -hmm. and i like the fact that it was creatively done so it was done as an homage to citizen kane like it you know i think that in some ways fincher was probably thinking of this as like a companion or something like that whereas you can hold it up and say these are the two movies about citizen kane one is citizen kane the other is the creation of citizen kane
0: well and but so apparently there is still some controversy over exactly how much each person contributed to the script. Right, so right. There's a lot of
1: vagarities about how much Orson Welles actually contributed and, and how much of the movie is his.
0: Right, and also how much, you know, it depending on which source you read, some people say Orson Welles did most, if not, like the vast, vast majority of it. And mm-hmm. then others, like Pauline Kael in the 70s, wrote mm-hmm. something that said, Pauline kale known to listener as somebody who is quoted extensively in i'm thinking of ending things mm-hmm. the film critic pauline kale wrote something in the 70s that said no Mank like is mostly responsible like mm-hmm. res- responsible for everything so there's still some controversy over exactly who contributed what to that script
1: well and i, I would agree that there's some doubt about it and the fact that neither one of these great artists Orson Welles and Hermie Mankiewicz really did anything of significance afterward no that's people who know Orson Welles are going to be like what are you talking about he did all sorts of great movies but in terms of the the level of Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane was beyond belief good. And then everything else after that just paled in comparison just because, you know, when you have that one fantastic album that's got five singles on it that are hits and the next album is going to be standing on the shoulders of giants, right? <laughs> I was totally thinking of Oasis. <laughs> like, yeah, like it's, there's just no way you're going to come back and, and be as good. Um, so, so that's a challenge. But I think that, I think that that to me is a little bit of proof that, this was more Mankiewicz. This was more Mankiewicz and Wells, and the tension that the creative tension that was brought by Mankiewicz being saddled to you know bedridden essentially, and having these two absolutely beautiful nurse helpers helping him out and and catering to his every whim.
0: Well, they're beautiful in the Hollywood production. Who knows what they look like in right. real life?
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. They're portrayed <laughs> as these beautiful women. But either way, my point there was that all he had to do was write. He didn't have to, he didn't have to worry about making dinner. Right. He didn't have to worry about walking the dog. He Mm -hmm. didn't have to worry about, you know, getting his kids off to school in the bus or anything like that. You know what I mean? So he just wrote.
0: That was, uh, that was one thing that bothered me about the movie was that Gary Oldman is 60 probably. He's pushing 60 anyways, if he's not already there. And, I mean, he doesn't look like an ancient guy, but you can definitely tell he is older. And his wife in the movie was so young. Yeah. And at one point, uh, she said something about, we've been married for 20 years and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God, he was robbing the cradle. Like, how how old was he when you two got married? Because you clearly got married when you were 19. But then toward the end of the movie, he said something about, I'm 42 years old. And right. I was like, bitch, you're 60. Yeah. I'm like, you are nowhere near He's 42. 62 in real life. So, yeah, geez. So, I don't know if they cast, they purposely cast an older actor because alcoholism is a bitch and it (laughs) takes a toll on your body and what you look like. And Mank was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know if they purposely cast like an older actor because they wanted to show, yeah, he's 42, but he looks 20 years older than that. Or if. Gary Oldman is just the guy they were going after all all the time. And they were like, well, hopefully people won't realize that he's actually 40 years older than the lady playing his wife. I don't think
1: Hollywood (laughs) thinks that way yet. It's unfortunate, but I don't think they're there yet. I think they just were like, let's get a list of top-notch actors. Who can handle this role. Who can handle this role. And then we'll deal with the fallout from there. Because I, I don't think that Hollywood, sadly, is not there yet. As we've seen over the years where, and I've cited this before, I think is that in Punchline... Right. Tom Hanks and Sally Field were lovers. You know, lovers, <laughs> and in uh, Forrest Gump, she... Sally Field was <laughs> his mother. Right. <laughs> so this is the way Hollywood operates. I mean, that's a long time ago, but uh, still, it's it hasn't changed all that much. So, what do you think, Coco? What are, what are you rating it as? Typewriters up or? Empty gin bottles. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, like I said, it was, there were definitely some good parts to it. I should have liked it more than I actually did. It just didn't all come together for me for some reason. So, I'd give it
1: a B minus to C plus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I really wanted to like this more, mm-hmm. and I, I like to, you know, writers. I identify with writers in some certain way, and I want to know about the creative process a lot more than I did in this. But this one, it didn't, it didn't do it for me. And maybe it was just my expectations. Maybe I should have had different expectations going in. But I heard it was really well regarded and really well done. And like I said, Fincher and Oldman combination, I was looking forward to it, but just didn't, just didn't deliver the paper to my door like I thought it would. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> <laughs> it's out in the driveway somewhere and i gotta find it <laughs> stuck to the driveway because we had a frost last night right exactly <laughs> so uh that's it for another episode of the podcast listener thank you for joining us uh, we have more exciting podcasts ahead including more mandalorian so stay tuned oh yeah so for another episode i'm not coco
0: and i'm not do